and uh, open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, New Testament, Mark 2.18, and I'm going to read through to chapter 3, verse 6. You'll notice the passage is helpfully broken up into three blocks, uh, particularly if you've got an NIV, and uh, they are three units that are tied together very uniquely and theologically, pastorally and practically, and uh, we're going we're gonna to look at that this morning together. So Mark 2.18, reading, now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. But some people came and asked Jesus, well, so how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? So Jesus answered them, how on earth can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, otherwise the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. Is that right, ladies? Those of you that sew? I wouldn't have a clue. And no one pours new wine, skin, new wine into old wineskins, Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. That's true, hey, amen? Okay, keep on going. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abithar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for the priest to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, nah, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Another time, Jesus goes into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus looked at them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill. But they obviously remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. In response, the Pharisees went out and began to plot with their enemies, the Herodians, how they might kill Jesus. Let's pray. Father, again, open-handed, we come to you now. Would you 
would you speak to us? Would your voice penetrate our hearts? Would you, would you give to us all that you would want us to know and hear, but do it in such a way, Father, that we are changed and we are made more like Jesus and we are we, 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 we contemplate him more and more, change more into his image. And we, we become more of the body of Christ that you have called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, let, let me start off by giving you a, a heading. If the team is at the back there, we all okay there? There we go. Okay, I'm lost now. Can you put it back to the beginning for me? Fair call. Fair call. Right, could you? All right, there we go. Uh, Trace is up for a deacon soon, so uh, we all know what that's going to mean, don't we? I wouldn't say that she's got a stubborn heart, but there is our, uh, there is our title, Stubborn Hearts, Stubborn Hearts, Mark 2, 18 to 3, 6, Stubborn Hearts. Do you know what that expression means? Missing the forest in the trees. Do you know that? Have you heard that expression? Do you know what it means? Hmm? You know what it means? Celia? If you go into Google, it is, okay? <laughs> and actually, it's in the Merriam-Webster Dictionary as well, which defines it exactly like this. To miss the forest in the trees is to not understand or appreciate a larger situation, problem, etc., because one is considering only a few parts of it. I guess one of the questions we've got to ask ourselves this morning is this. Are, are, are we people that miss the forest in the trees? Or whichever version you want it. Um, are, are, are we doing that? Are we missing the, the forest in the trees? Are, are we missing all of it? Or, or perhaps maybe we're missing some of the forest in the trees. And we're going to look at that this morning. And you'll notice in our passage that we're going to meet some people that truly missed the forest in the trees. How beautiful are the feet of those that bring good news, right? Is that true? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news? How do you respond to good news? Anybody want to do an exclamation or something? How do, how do you respond to good news? Or just sit there. Oh, okay. How, okay, so how should we respond to good news? Oh, yay. Okay. But you could sit here and say, we are Baptists, I tell you. Um, you could say, well, good news for some is bad news for others, right? You could say that. Is that true? I mean, a victory for the eagles over the dockers is bad news for the dockers and good news for the eagles, right? If labor has won, it's good news for labor and it's bad news for the liberals. You, wait, wait, Olive, what was that? With greens? Clive Palm? Oh, no, never mind. Let's keep going. You can tell me about that afterwards. Is there, is there good universal news for everybody? 
Is there good news for everyone despite? And here it is. Here's the good news. The sin forgiver has paid the penalty for every one of your sins you have and ever will commit. Jesus Christ paid for all your transgressions at the cross. Jesus Christ covered them all. Jesus suffered for every single one of them so that there is no condemnation ever for those who believe. Is that good news? Is, would you say that that's good news for everyone? Shouldn't everyone who hears something of that say, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring me this news? But the problem is, if, if, if you miss the forest in the trees, then instead of embracing happy feet, you're going to reject it. Have a look at chapter 3, verse 6, if you've got your Bible open. It says, Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Do you see it? Because they missed the forest in the trees, they plot to crucify happy feet instead of washing the feet of Jesus with the joyful tears of gratitude. Why on earth would you crucify happy feet? The answer is in chapter 3, verse 5. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts and then said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. The reason why you will crucify happy feet is because you have a stubborn heart. Here's my first point. A stubborn heart is a heart that refuses to see that your sins are worthy of punishment in hell before a holy God. And therefore, a stubborn heart refuses to receive the sin forgiver. And there might be some of you even sitting here this morning that have a stubborn heart. The reason you have not believed in Christ is, is, is not because you don't know enough about the Bible. It's not because you haven't had your difficult questions answered. It's not because you've had a bad church experience. It's because you refuse to be forgiven because you just don't see your need of the sin forgiver. Stubborn hearts cannot confront their own evil. And the reason why the Pharisees could not confront their sin, they couldn't confront the evil in their own hearts, was because they were trying so hard to be good. The Pharisees would never say, I'm perfect. They wouldn't say that, we're, we're imperfect. The, the Pharisees would never say they hadn't sinned. But here's the thing, if you have tried so hard to be good your whole life, you don't look at your sin, you, you, you negate your sin, you, you can't confront it because you're so focused on being good that you don't confront the evil. And you think that somehow your good must negate your evil. Take a look at this in Mark chapter 10. He's the classic example. This is the rich man. As Jesus started on his way, a man comes up to Jesus, falls on his knees, and says, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? 
you know, the commandments. Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, don't give false testimony, you shall not defraud. Honor your mother and father. And look how the man responds. But teacher, he declared, all these things I have kept since I was a boy. You see it? What the rich man is saying to Jesus is this. Don't I get any credit for trying so hard to keep the commandments, although I kept them imperfectly? Let me give you another example. Perhaps this has happened to you or you've done this to someone. Perhaps you've had to dress down someone for, uh, for their bad behavior. You've had to dress down someone for poor performance. Maybe it was an employee. Maybe it was a, maybe it was a child. Maybe it was being done to you. So you're dressing down this person at, because of their bad performance, and somewhere in the conversation they say to you, why are you only picking on what I did wrong? What about all the, what about all the good that I've done? What about all the other stuff? Why are you going there? Isn't what I, in the good that I did, does that not count for something? Here's what stubborn hearts don't get. They don't get holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Stubborn hearts don't get be holy as I am holy. Stubborn hearts don't get the soul that sins, it will die. Stubborn hearts don't get that blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered in Christ. Here's a particular verse that stubborn hearts don't get. Romans 3.20, There will be no one to be declared righteous in God's sight by works of the law, Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. The stubborn human heart sees the laws of God as a measurement of goodness instead of a measurement of evil. You've got to understand that, 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 that your law-keeping is not a measurement of how well you've done. It's a measurement of how far you've fallen. Our, if I can use the expression, our law-keeping never cuts the mustard because we are continually breaking God's laws. And as we come into our passage, I want to show you three things that stubborn hearts miss. Stubborn hearts miss three things. Firstly, they miss the feast in the fast. They miss the feast in the fast. Look at verse 18. Now, John's disciples and Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth in an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. Jesus wants us to feast, and the Pharisees were stuck in fasting. Fasting was something that the Pharisees did a lot of, 
And fasting was something that the Pharisees showed others that they did a lot of as well. But they missed the feast in the fast. Why? The command to fast was connected to the Old Testament Day of Atonement named Yom Kippur in Leviticus 16. You might remember it was the one day that the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies. He would take the blood of bulls and goats and he would go in there to make atonement for the sins of Israel. Now let me show you something in Leviticus 16. This is the Day of Atonement. This is to be a lasting ordinance for you. On the 10th day of the month, you must deny yourselves or fast and do not do any work with a native-born or a foreigner residing among you. Because on this day, atonement will be made for you to cleanse you. Then before the Lord, you will be clean from all your sins. Now notice that the Hebrew word for fast is often translated as denying yourself. It's a good, it's a good translation. And God says to the Israelites, I want you to deny yourself certain things, in this case, food, bread. Why? To remember that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Which means this, that when you deny yourself food or you deny yourself bread, you are remembering that only God can give you the bread of life. When you deny yourself food, you're remembering that only God can give you the forgiveness of your sins. When you're denying yourself food, when you're denying yourself bread, it's like you're saying this. You're saying, I can't feed myself real bread. I can't feed myself real life. I can't give myself eternal life. God, you must feed me. You must give me the bread of life. This is my body. That is, this is my bread. This I'm giving for you. This is my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Symbolized as that high priest goes into the holy of holies. Fasting then was a sign. Listen. Fasting was a sign that one day God's people would be feasting in the forgiver of their sins. Fasting was a sign that one day God's people would feast in the forgiver. So do you see what the Pharisee had done? They had taken a self-denying act of humility and they had turned it into a self-denying act of merit. They missed the feast in the fast. And if you've got your Bible open, have a look at chapter 2, verse 19. So Jesus says, how can, how, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? The bridegroom of the Old Testament has come, Jesus. He will come and lay down his life for his bride. He'll give his, his blood for his bride. So that the feasting can begin. The feasting in the forgiveness. Look at 2.21. The wedding clothes of righteousness have been given. The new wine has begun to flow. The feasting has begun because the forgiver is here. It is completely inappropriate to fast now that the feasting has begun. The Pharisees were stubborn fasters instead of being joyful feasters. And that is why, folks, and listen carefully, 
That is why in the New Testament, there is not one command for you to fast. Not one command. Why? Because we have started the feast. We have begun the feast in the forgiver, which anticipates a feast coming in the kingdom of God that is going to be something of an eternal buffet. So easy to miss the spiritual forest in the Old Testament trees. Get all fussed about fasting. Get all cut up about circumcision. Get all nuanced about the nation of Israel. But miss completely the feast in the forgiver. Whose happy feet are crucified for every one of your sins at the cross. Are you a faster or a feaster? Are you feasting in the forgiver today? Stubborn hearts miss the feast in the fast. They also miss the Savior in the Sabbath. So they're walking along, and the disciples are picking some heads of grain, and the Pharisees saying, oh, what they are doing is unlawful on the Sabbath. Jesus said, have you never heard what David did when he and his companions were hungry and were in need? And even in the days of Abitol the high priest, he went into the house of God and they, and they ate the consecrated bread, which was only lawful for the priest to eat and gave some to the companions as well. He said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now here's what you've got to understand. Picking grain on the Sabbath was not an Old Testament unlawful. It was a Pharisee law unlawful. Here's what the Pharisees did. They were so scared of breaking the Sabbath that they made other rules to help them keep the original one. That's how it worked. They were so scared of breaking the Sabbath that they made other rules to help them keep the Old Testament one. And in doing so, they didn't just miss the feast and the fast, they missed the Savior and the Sabbath. But before we go, oh, how stupid are the Pharisees, let us remember that not too long ago, and I'm going to use a generalization, not too long ago, the Christian church did somewhat the same thing. They missed the Savior in the Sabbath. Do you remember that we made Sunday the Sabbath? Uh, uh, that's, a, that's a church law. That's not a Bible one. And do you remember that when we, made, when we made the Sabbath, the Sunday, do you remember that by and large we made up all sorts of rules about what we could and couldn't do? Well, we couldn't go to the shops, we couldn't drink, we couldn't go to the movies, we couldn't do this, we couldn't do that. Although we could eat ourselves to a gluttonous standstill and then fall asleep on the couch on Sunday afternoon. I wonder, what was your favorite self-denying act on a Sunday if you grew up? in that era. Here's what the Pharisees missed, and here's what we can miss as well. What's the connection between Sabbath and sacrifice? 
On the Sabbath day, make an offering of two lambs a year old without defect, together with its drink offering, and a grain offering of two-tenths of an epah of the finest flour mixed with olive oil. This is the burnt offering for every Sabbath, in addition to the regular burnt offering and its drink offering. Here's what you've got to see. The Sabbath was always connected to sacrifice, just like fasting was connected to sacrifice. And sacrifices for sins was made every single Sabbath, 24-7-3-6-5. Why? Not working on a Sabbath was a sign to remember that you could not work for your salvation. But you needed to remember that someone would work for you. And that work would include a sacrifice of death, symbolized in lambs that would go to Christ at the cross. Look, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's what the Sabbath was about. Stop working, stop working for your own salvation, and look to the one who would work for you. Brothers and sisters, let me say it clearly. The Sabbath in the Old Testament is not a Saturday today. It is not a Sunday today. Yes, it is called the Lord's Day because Jesus rose on a Sunday. You keep the Sabbath today. You keep it every single day when you feast in the fast, in the, when you feast in the self-denying act of Christ at the cross, when you feast in His forgiveness. And you know that you cannot work for it. It's not yours. You can't do it. That is how you keep the Sabbath. You can deny yourself all sorts of things. Stop eating chocolate. Ooh, okay, not that one. Stop eating Kentucky Fried Chicken. No, definitely not that one. You stop eating and giving up and self-denying all sorts of things and over Easter and over Lent and on a Sabbath and on a whatever, and you can completely miss the Savior in the Sabbath. And Jesus put it like this. He said, and the Sabbath was not made for man, but man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was not about what man could do. <laughs> Listen, the Sabbath was not about what man can deny himself. It was appointed to the one who would deny himself for us at the cross so that we can feast in the forgiveness. Are you savoring the Savior in the Sabbath? Are you savoring the Savior? As you give you my next heading, I was on a conference on Friday, and it was a bit of a joke, because uh, there was a pastor, and he was doing the conference, and he was an old Baptist, and he said that, you know, uh, pastors that have three headings and three points, and they all try to alliterate their stuff, uh, that's like so 1980s and so retro and everything else, and I'm sitting there going, anyway, so whatever, here we go, all right? I thought I'd, I'd send in my sermon after this one. Stubborn hearts miss three things. They miss the fast in the feast. They miss the Savior in the Sabbath. 
and to just get it all lined up, they miss the salve in the shrivel. Follow with me. Jesus goes into the synagogue. There's a man with a shriveled hand. They're looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. They watch him closely. They want to see if he's going to heal. He says to the man, stand up in front of everybody. He stands up in front of everybody. He says to them, well, what is, what, what, what is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save life or to kill? They remain silent. Jesus looks around at them in, 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 in anger and, and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. And he says, well, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and it was completely restored. And as you know, the Pharisees went out to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Now here again, the Pharisees are so scared of breaking the Sabbath that they make up a rule in order to help them keep it. In this one, what they do is they say, well, unless you are literally dying on your bed, unless you are terminally ill, unless like it is absolutely catastrophic sickness, you, 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 you simply cannot go and visit Kyle at the ED department. You can't do that. You can't go there. You can't travel. Unless it's life-threatening, you can't administer healing. You can't administer anointing. You can't put soul in the wounds of those who are suffering. And notice that they are so furious with Jesus because he heals the man that they go out and plot to kill him. Now understand, the Pharisees are not murder, cold-blooded murderers. They are not doing that. That's not what's going on here. Let me show you. Remember they tried to keep the Old Testament laws, right? So watch. Exodus 31.15. For six days work is to be done, but the seventh day is a day of Sabbath rest, holy to the Lord. What happens? Anyone who does any work on the Sabbath is to be put to, is to put, put to death. You see it? So listen. If Sabbath breakers are to be put to death and Jesus is a Sabbath breaker, what do you do with Jesus? Put him to death. It's, it's not cold-blooded murder. It's simply these guys, misguided, trying to keep the Old Testament laws. Jesus, according to them, is a Sabbath breaker, therefore he must die. But they miss, they miss the salve, don't they? They really missed it completely. Because have a look at this. In Matthew 8, when evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word, and he healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities, and he bore our diseases. Here's what they missed. If Jesus heals on the Sabbath, it means he is the one that has come to restore our broken, sinful hearts back to God. Healing on the Sabbath meant that Jesus has come to restore us to the Father, redeem us back to the Father, remove that barrier between us and God, which is our sin. The Pharisees thought that Jesus was breaking the Sabbath. Jesus is fulfilling it. And he is showing, he is showing that as the Sabbath healer, he puts souls into our shriveled, sinful hearts and he restores us back to the Father. 
has Jesus put the solve of his blood into the shriveled wound of your sinful heart? Has that happened? So let's go to my second heading as we move towards the Lord's table. Soft human hearts on healing. Three five is quite diverse, isn't it? He he looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. You need to understand that Jesus is not indifferent to stubborn, religious, hypocritical, pharisaical hearts. Jesus was angered by the Pharisees. Do you know why? Because Pharisees make Pharisees. Pharisees lead others to be Pharisees. Pharisees cause others to fast instead of feast. Pharisees cause others to be rule-keeping Sabbatarians instead of looking at the Savior. Yet, yet angered by their stubbornness, but so distressed by their stubbornness that Jesus goes to the cross and dies for them and dies for us. He is the feast in the fast. He is the Savior in the Sabbath. He is the soul in the shrill. It's not heal thyself. It's let me heal you. Jesus, come to me. You're sick and you're weary of your sin. Come, come to me. I will forgive you. I will give you rest. I will save you. I will prepare a feast for you. It's people that are broken. It's people that are broken that are to come to Jesus to be mended. It's people that are wounded that are to come be healed. It's those that are desperate that come for rescue. It's those that are empty that come to be filled. The call is always repent, believe, and be mended. Repent, believe, and be healed. Repent, believe, and be rescued. Repent, believe, and be filled. It, it, um, it's, it is come as you are, just as you are. But secondly, as Christians, we need to be very, very careful that we don't slip back into pharisaical tendencies. Where we start making up laws and making up rules and making up doctrines that, that are not biblical, that are not in the Bible, and then we start to do things that we think are going to give us blessed assurance that Jesus is ours. 
We must be very careful about putting stumbling blocks in front of people to say there are certain things they've got to do. There's certain religious hoops. There's certain churchy things that you've got to do before you come to Jesus. You come as you are. You come broken. You come, you come wounded. You come empty. You, that's how you come. And I say this as well. We've got to be very careful, Baptists. We've got to be very careful. We've got to examine our constitution. We've got to examine our policies and procedures to see if there's anything in there that, 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 that we think is biblical, but it, might, but it might not be. Where we sort of added in a whole lot of non-biblical laws that are stumbling blocks for people. Here's the thing. It's very easy to miss the grace in the regulation. But let me make it a little bit more broader. It's very easy to miss the substance in the sign. And how easy is it to do that this morning as we come to the Lord's table? 